0: Alright, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, and we get to start a new chapter this morning. We are going through Matthew at a rapid pace, I guess you could say. it's all, It's been two years now, we're in Matthew chapter 18. We'll, we'll be done with Matthew within the next two more years, probably, so we'll see. Uh, my, my new baby might be two years old by the time we finish Matthew, but that's alright. We want to get everything that we can out of Matthew. And in Matthew 18, we begin what is one of the great chapters in Matthew. It's another sermon by Jesus. This is kind of an overlooked sermon, but I think there's going to be several things in this passage and in this really the entire chapter that we know and that we love. So we're going to get a lot out of this. And I'm going to take my time today. We're just going to look at four verses. And this is kind of the foundation of chapter 18 where Jesus asks the question. And I want to answer it today. And it's a good question for all of us to answer. It's who is the greatest? So that's the title of the sermon, and I want us to look at that, answer it today, and find out what it means to be great, not in the world's eyes, but I want to see what it, what it means to be great in God's eyes. That's what, where we need to be great. We don't, we don't want to concern ourselves with being great in the eyes of man. We want to be great in the eyes of God. So that's the title of the sermon, Who is the Greatest? So let's stand together again, four verses today, and I think we'll get a lot out of it. starting in verse 1. This is the beginning of... One of Jesus' great sermons in Matthew. And there's several great sermons in Matthew, but this is another great one. So starting there in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 18, it says, And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So you see where I got the title of the sermon. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This passage in front of us today will answer that question, who is the greatest in God's eyes? So let's pray together and we'll answer that question. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, It it is a great value to us. We would be, uh, who knows where we'd be without it. We'd be directionless. We'd be powerless. We would have no idea where we're going, where we've been, and what we need to do to be saved. So we thank you for your word. We stand upon your word. We love your word. And God, I pray that you would honor the preaching of it today. That you would help me and enable me to preach these words with power. And I pray that you'd help the people in the pews to receive them. Have open eyes. God, today, I know there's people that probably don't want to be here. They uh, don't want to pay attention. But I pray that you would grab their attention. That you would open their eyes and open their ears and open their hearts. That they would receive what they hear today. And I pray that this sermon today would be helpful to the people in the pews. That it would be honoring to you, our God. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. Muhammad Ali said, I know I'm starting with Muhammad Ali, you guys have never done this before, but uh, Muhammad Ali was a a great boxing legend and probably one of the great uh, trash talkers of all time and he is most famous, I know probably everybody in here could know this, that he's most famous for his saying that he is he said I am the greatest of all time. That's that's his that's his uh, famous statement. And it's not that he just said I am the greatest. He went on to say this. I want you to pay attention to this. He said I am not just the greatest. I'm the double greatest. <laughs> not only do I knock them down, I pick the round. I'm the boldest, the prettiest, the most superior, the scientific the Skill greatness in trophies, in money, in fame. We live in a dog eat dog, the survival of the fittest world where the greatness is always the one who is on. greatness is our question must be what does God say about greatness we don't want to be great in in the world's eyes as Christians we want to be great in God's eyes greatness in God's eyes is is all that matters to God's people we want to be great in his eyes who cares if the world thinks you're great we want God to think that we're great that's what we want that's what we're after so what does it mean to be great by God's standard and that's what Jesus is going to tell us here He's teaching His disciples. This whole section, this whole chapter is going to be Jesus teaching His disciples the things they need to know before He leaves. Okay, you with me on that? Chapter 18 is Jesus teaching His disciples what they need to know before He leaves. He probably has six months left before He goes to the cross. He said it there in verse 22 and 23. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They're going to kill Him. And on the third day, He's going to raise again. So he's telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave you guys, I'm not going to be with you forever, I'm going to ascend unto the Father, I need to teach you some lessons before I go. So that's what this is. He's trying to shape their lives and shape their thinking so that they can be who he needs them to be when he leaves. And Jesus' way of living is so different than the world's way of living. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's not like the world. It's unnatural. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 5, he told them this. Blessed are the... And is this how the world thinks? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. How many people hear that? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are those, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He he goes on to say, it's more blessed to lose your life so that you can gain it. And the last shall be first. So over and over and over he's been teaching them that the way Christians ought to be, his followers ought to be, is completely different than the way the world says. And we need to hear this because the disciples had a tendency to be more like the culture and the world than they did being like Christ. And today in our church time, we have a tendency to think more and to be more like the world and the culture around us than we do being like Christ. So we need to let Jesus shape our thinking on all matters, especially when it comes to true greatness. And Jesus will say here in these four verses, true greatness is found In humility and lowliness. That's greatness in Jesus' eyes. So he's going to take these verses and knock the disciples down a notch or two. And if you're paying attention, he's going to take these verses and knock all of us down a notch or two. And every single one of us needs to be knocked down a notch or two. So that's what these four verses are going to do because we all think we're pretty good. Jesus comes in here and says, Greatness isn't found in being at the top, which is what the world says. Greatness is found in being at the bottom. Not in being first, but in being last. So let's look at this today, and I'm going to break these four verses down into three headings for you, just three things that kind of stood out to me as I was reading these four verses. And I want to start with number one, the debate over greatness. You see there in verse 1, it's going to be a silly debate that the disciples are having. They're having a conversation with each other about who is the greatest in the, in the kingdom. I'm going to read you a passage. You don't have to turn there. But in Mark chapter 9, the same, story, the same scene is being set for us. And, and, and the disciples are, it says, let me read it to you. Matthew 9.33 says, And he came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves on the way? That were disputed is debated. That you guys were arguing back and forth. So they were walking to Capernaum and Jesus is out in front of them as the leader. That's how people walked in those days. Your leader was out in front and the followers were in the back and the disciples were in the back having a heated discussion back and forth. I mean, they're, they're having a, a, a point here and a, and a point there. They're going back and forth amongst the twelve. And he asked them, what were you guys debating about? But they held their peace. For on the way they debated, argued amongst themselves over who is the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto him, and and he's going to give the same passage we got here. So he's he's, he's asking them, what are you guys arguing about? And what they're arguing about in Matthew 18 is who's the greatest. The twelve are arguing amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest. And and what it means to be great to them here is who's the highest ranking. Who's going to get the chief seat when Jesus leaves? We're walking behind Jesus and He's out in front of us and He's already told us just a few verses earlier that He's going to leave us. Well, who's going to get to be out in front of everybody else like Jesus when He leaves? And they're arguing back and forth over it. Which one's the most important? Which one is is going to get the highest seat? Which one is it? And it's caused, I think, and this is me kind of reading in between the lines here, but if you think about it, we just saw Peter, James, and John go into the Mount of Transfiguration and the other nine stay down on the bottom of the mountain. So maybe Peter, James, and John are saying, we got to go up there. You guys had to stay down here, so it has to be one of us three. One of us three is greater than, than the rest of you nine. And then Peter of, of those three is going to say, well, you guys know that it's me. He gave me a real cool nickname. He said, I was the rock. <laughs> he was going to build his church upon what I said. I got to walk on water. I, I, I've, I've been with him every step of the way. You know it's me, Peter's going to say. And then Peter, John's going to look at him and he's going to say, Peter, he just looked at you and said, get behind me, Satan. So he, he just called you of the devil. I think you're going to take a back seat to me. And John's going to be out in front. I've cast out demons. I, I've, I've healed the sick. I'm the one that's the greatest. Well, James is like, well, you know what I did. And they're just going back and forth about who's the greatest and who's done the most. It's clear that of those 12, there's a few of them that think they're greater than the rest. There's a few of them that think they're better than the rest. So they're asking that question, who is the greatest? And they look at and let's go back to our passage. I want your eyes to see this. Verse 1, so when Jesus said, what are you guys talking about? They look at him and they say, okay, here it is, Jesus You settle the debate for us. Look what it says. Tell us, Jesus. They came to Jesus and said, okay, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Settle it for us. Who is it? Twelve looking at Jesus and they're saying, put us in order. (laughs) One to twelve. I would put Judas at the end. He's (laughs) twelve. But let's see it 1 through 12. Let's go 1. Let's go 2. Let's go 3. Let's hear it, Jesus. You decide who is the greatest out of this bunch of guys. It shows their heart. Jesus had just said he's going to die. Jesus said earlier on that if any man's going to come after me, he's going to have to deny deny himself, take up a cross, and follow me. He's he's already told him it's not about greatness. But these guys are so self-centered and so self-seeking and so full of pride it just eats away at their heart. And this isn't the only place. I want you to turn with me because it, it just goes on. Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going try to try to hurry with this. two chapters later. Two chapters later, watch this. Verse 20, 2020. 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What do you want? And she said, My boys, they got their mom to go to him. Ask him if we can have the, the top spot. Ask him if we can sit on his left and on his right in the kingdom. Ask him and whispering to the mom, Hey mom, he got mad at us last time. Won't you go ask him? Little mama's boys, won't you go see if he'll give us the top seat? She says unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in the kingdom. He answers kind of angrily. But in verse 24, when the other ten heard it, they were moved with anger, indignation against the two brethren. They got mad. Do you see what's going on here? It's this this pride, this self-centeredness amongst the twelve that is starting to separate the twelve. It's starting to, to divide them into groups of who thinks they're better than somebody else. They were raised this way. Everybody was like this. Everybody around them, just like everybody around us, is always trying to get the top seat. They wanted to be great in the kingdom. They wanted to be great in in Christianity here. This is a tough thing for them to get rid of. Pride is always a tough tough thing to get rid of. Humility is a tough lesson to learn. But they'll never be any good for Christ unless he corrects it. He has to get it out of them. They can't go on once he leaves if they're going to hold on to this self-centeredness. And this pride and this envy and this jealousy, that'll eat away at their hearts. Correct. You say, "Well, pride's still a problem today. You better believe it is. We don't have those arguments. I don't think we do. I don't think there's any of us uh, hanging out in little corners saying, "Oh, I, who do you think's greatest? Who do you think's greatest in, in the church? Who do you think's greatest in our family?" That's the kind of thing kids do. You know, my dad's better than yours. I'm stronger than you are. But we as adults would never do that, would we? Nobody here would ever sit down and say, you know what, I think this one's greater. I think I'm greater. We would never say that. But we feel that way. It's in every single one of us. Pay attention to me. Sitting in church or even after church. Or even looking out at other churches. It's in all of us to think, I could do that better than they do. I could preach that sermon better than he preached it. I could sing that song better than she sang it. I could change that diaper in the nursery better than she changed that diaper in the nursery. Nobody ever says that. (laughs) You should see me weed eat. Uh, They need to ask me to be the weed eater. No, Nobody says that either. I'm a better preacher, I'm a better singer, we have a better church, we have more people. It's everywhere. Especially today as you can watch every single church in America on Facebook. And you sit and listen to a sermon you think, (laughs) I could could preach circles around that guy. I could sing better than that, our church is better than that, our doctrine is better than that, our theology is better than them, we're greater than they are, we would never say it, oh, but we think it. I'm holier than they are. I'm better than they are. My husband's better than her husband. My wife's be- cooks better than her wife. His wife. Her wife. Uh, man, that was a uh, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> it's one of those churches. <laughs> Somebody right now saying my preacher's a lot better than that preacher. <laughs> It might even happen in fellowship dinners. My casserole's better than her casserole. My banana pudding is better than her banana pudding. Remember that time they sent me down over there at Pastor Appreciation and gave me eight banana puddings and said, Pastor, which one's greatest? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, everybody looking at me. Steph looking at me, you know. You know who's better. We do it. Don't we? You guys are no, I would never do that. I'm better than anybody that thinks they're better than me. <laughs> it's in every single one of us. My kids are better than their kids. I'm a better Christian than they are. I would never watch that. I would never go there. I'm a church more than they are. I Ooh, this hit me. I give more than they do. That's in every, every single one of us. And this kind of attitude that was in the disciples is the attitude that causes division and church splits. Because it separates us. Exactly as it was separating the disciples. This kind of pride and self-centeredness, you understand this, will rip apart any athletic team. If you have somebody on an athletic team that thinks they're better than somebody else and deserves more praise than somebody else and they get in the locker room and the coaches treat them better than somebody else, then it's just going to splinter that locker room and the team can't succeed if you've got some that think they're greater than the others. It'll splinter a family. Just think about it. If you've got a kid in your family that thinks it's the the favorite, Right? I've seen so many families that has two or three kids over here that are mad at this kid over here all the way up into old age because mama liked that kid better than she liked these kids. It'll tear a family apart. Rip it to shreds. It'll shred a team. It'll shred a family. Oh, and it'll shred a church to pieces. This is what divides a church. This is what's going to divide the disciples. It's going to rip them apart. It'll ruin the relationship with each other. It'll ruin the relationships with Jesus. And he says, We got to get this out of you. You can't be like that and be a Christian. Christianity is full of this. You go to pastor conferences, and the first thing they ask, how big's your church? <laughs> all so humble, you know. It's full of it. It causes bitterness and rivalry and pride and jealousy. You can't have this kind of fighting. You can't have this one upping each other. You can't have this stepping on each other, stepping over each other, putting each other down, because that's what you want. If you think they're greater than I am, I'm going to bring them down so I can get above them. Competition amongst Christians should not be. I'm going to say this, competition amongst churches is written to a church. I sing better than you sing. So they needed this lesson bad. I think churches today and Christians today need this lesson bad. So Jesus corrects them. Look what He says. Let's move on to point number two. If that was the debate over this in verse 2 and I like this Jesus is going to correct them here in verse 2 and Jesus called a little child you see that he called a little child unto him and he set this little child in the midst of them they're in Capernaum they're at Peter's house most commentators say this is Peter's child and this little child is a toddler not a baby infant not a weaned child like johnny was talking about in sunday school this morning but a toddler one to two years old that'll come when jesus says come here come to me this little child comes you know how little one or two year olds just learning to walk and you're sitting there and watching and i used to do with my kids all the time because you want them to walk for some reason (laughs) They're so much easier when they don't walk (laughs) when they walk you're in trouble so you step on one end me on the other and i say steph let her go (laughs) And, and, and fall down, and fall down. But they start getting those one little steps and tools. little steps. little that, toddlers doing I want to get that picture in your mind. And Jesus says, come on. And this little toddler starts walking slowly towards Jesus. And he takes the child and he sets it in his lap. I love this picture because Jesus loves children and children love Jesus. There's a preacher preaching one time and he, and he was preaching a sermon and he said, the Bible never says that Jesus ever smiled. But it does say that he got angry. And after church, this little child come and pulled on his coat and said, I know Jesus smiled. Preacher said, how do you know Jesus smiled? Because kids came to him and no kid's going to come to a man that ain't smiling. It's true. They say you can attest to what kind of preacher you have by how the children react to him. Because there's nothing a child can give a man. And Jesus just looked at the child and said, come here. And I can imagine a big smile on Jesus' face. And there comes that little child with a smile on its face. And he sets the little child, a little boy in his lap. And the child just looks up at his Savior, his Creator's face. And Jesus, in a room full of the strongest, most masculine men that you could ever find, chooses the weakest one in the room. He chooses not a king as his example but he chooses a child as his example of greatness can you imagine that the weakest, the lowest, the least significant, and the lowest rank- ranking member of society on the societal scale, a child, especially in, I mean, as you would go, this little toddler would be the lowest of the low on the societal rung of the ladder. I mean, you couldn't get any lower than that. A child couldn't do anything for you. A child couldn't work. A child is only good for, really, a toddler is only good for two things, crying and making a mess. You guys know that. I mean, I'm getting ready to realize that again very soon. I mean, that's what a child is good at. In that society, if they weren't so cute, they'd get rid of them. I mean, that was just a problem. It was the lowest of the low, and Jesus says, okay, this child's going to sit in my lap, and I'm going to use this child, this toddler, as an object illustration, like I did with the fish and the coin and the taxes, so that when you see children, you're going to think of, this is how I ought to be. And God repeatedly calls His people the children of God. Wanting to remind us of who we really are. So he brings this child and sets this child on his lap. And he says there in verse 3, watch it, and I'm going to hurry through this, but he said, and he said, verily, and you guys know the word verily, I always underline it because it means very important. Verily I say unto you. And then he says, except you be converted and become as little children, as this little child in my lap. Little child being toddler. two, one, two, three years old. You shall not... Enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the shift that he makes there? He's no longer talking about who is the greatest, how you got in. And he fills in the blank there. Unless you do this, you can't even get in the kingdom. You can't even, and by in the kingdom, he means you can't, using language, unless you'd be like this child, you can't even be saved. You can't be my child. The Gospel of Matthew. Is the first gospel for a reason. It is a gospel telling us how to get into God's kingdom and be saved. The gospel of John is showing us Jesus as God so that we would believe who He is. But the gospel of Matthew is saying here's how you get into the kingdom. Here's how you get saved. And He lays it out here. Again, He's not talking about how to be great. He's talking about how to get in. So these next words that I'm going to give you are essential for salvation. If you haven't done this, you're not in. You're not you're not in not greatness. You're not even in. And look what he says. Verse three Verily I say unto you, except ye be and here's the phrase Converted and become as little children, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never get in. You'll never be saved. You'll be left outside the kingdom. So you must do this to get in. So I'm going to ask you this today. This isn't about greatness. This is about are you in the kingdom? Are you saved? Have you done this? You say, what is this? Have you been radically changed? That's what it says. The word converted means radical change. You must become different than what you are. You must become totally opposite from the way you act. That's what he's saying here. You must. The word means to turn yourself around. That I was going one direction and now I'm going in a completely opposite direction. Because that's what happens when you put your faith in Christ. I was going one way, my way, the selfish way, the self-centered way, doing things my way, the way I wanted to do it. It was all about me, myself, and I. I met Jesus and I completely changed the direction that I'm going. My whole life changed. Be converted. Must go in an entirely different direction. Must go from, watch this, being like the disciples were acting. Arrogant, proud, full of his self, puffed up, to acting like this little child. You must go from being like the disciples, full of pride, to being like this child in his lap. If you want to enter into the kingdom. What was this child like? I spent all week trying to describe a child The child is lowly, weak, helpless. This is how you come to Christ. Get this. And if you don't come to Christ this way, you haven't come to Christ. You must come to Christ lowly, weak. Coming to Christ is not about being the highest of the high. You must see yourself as the lowest of the low. Coming to Christ is not about my strength. It's about my weakness. You must come to Christ. And I can see this child just just, just barely getting his way to Jesus with a smile on his face, walking towards Jesus, and he has no idea in his head of any accomplishments that he's done, no achievements, no abilities, no capability of of doing anything at all to, to find favor with Jesus. He has none of those things in his mind. It's just a simple, trusting, dependent faith that he just comes wobbling to Jesus. That's how we all come to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. I love this. That's how we all, nobody struts into the kingdom. Look at me how great I am. I'm getting saved. The old song says, a wretch like me, or for a worm such as I. We see ourselves and we see our sin in light of how great God is, and it just brings us lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. Nobody comes into the kingdom with a high attitude, with a prideful attitude. You come with a helpless attitude. This is how we all come. This is far-reaching for everybody. This is the message of Matthew. John the Baptist came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're going one way and you're going to start going another way. And then Jesus, that was Matthew 3 when John the Baptist said repent. And then Matthew chapter 4, Jesus shows up. And what was His sermon? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your ways. Go in a different direction. You can't be like you were. And these disciples, and I'm going to move on to the last point. These disciples had forgotten where they came from. These disciples You guys remember how he found these guys? You can go back to Matthew 4 and see where he found his disciples. He didn't find them in greatness. He didn't find them in power. He didn't find them in strength. He didn't find them thinking they were great. They weren't out there fishing thinking, boy, I want to be the greatest thing in the world. He found them, He called them, and they followed Him. They'd forgotten where they came from. The psalmist says it, don't you ever forget how God found you. Don't forget the pit that He got you out of. And if you remember how you got in, you won't act like that once you're in. There's a lot of people in churches today, and it happens to me, and it happens to you, that we forget where we started. And we've been Christians for so many years and we start thinking, I'm pretty good. Definitely better than they are. They are where they are. Nobody struts into the kingdom thinking they're any, any, any good at all. New baby Christians. I wonder why they call them baby Christians. Children of God. No new Christian ever comes into the church thinking they belong. I've heard new believers come to me and they'll say, I, I'm just not ready to be in church. And I look at them and I'll say, now maybe I've said it to you. Some of you have told me that. That's the right attitude to have. That you're not greater than anybody. But somewhere down the line, we begin to get puffed up. And that's what's happened to these disciples. They forgot where they came from. They'd become <laughs> too big for their britches. Jesus looks at them and says, You guys shouldn't even be talking about great when you're acting like you ain't even never gotten into the kingdom to begin with. And you see what he did there? He knocked them down a notch. You guys are acting like you're not even saved. That's how unbelievers act. Except you be like a child, you can't even enter into the kingdom. Like a child, the lowest of the low, nobody struts into the narrow gate. Nobody struts once they are in the kingdom either. That's what he's going to move on to now. As he tells them there, the demand to even be great is you have to start right there as as being like a child, be converted. And if I were you, I would underline that, be converted and become as little children. That statement is, is huge. I mean, you need to grasp that. You have to be converted. You have to be changed and become as a little child. You have to do that. Except you be... It's almost as if he's saying, born again. Except you be born again. Except you be changed. You'll never see the kingdom of God. Have you been changed? Has there been a radical, life-changing power of god happened in your life unless you be converted and become as a little child you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven let's move to the last point and i'll close we saw the debate and we saw the demand which is to be converted and become as a little child and lastly number three i want to show you the description of greatness as now he gets to answering their question. I mean, he, he, he had to knock them down a notch or two, and then he's going to show them now what it means to be great. Verse 4, he finally answers that question. Finally, he gets to it. So do you want to be great? Here's what it's going to take. And Let me say this to you guys here today. There's nothing in the world wrong with wanting to be a great Christian. He doesn't rebuke them here. It's not a bad ambition. Nobody that I know of, nobody in here would would say, I want to be the worst Christian possible. I hope nobody wants that. Uh, If you're here today and you're saved, you don't want to be an embarrassment to your Savior. That I I just want to be as bad as I can be. I don't want to be good at this at all. I I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be a light in the world. I just want to be as, as bad as I can be at this Christianity thing. Nobody wants that. Jonathan Edwards had resolution number 63. He said, I strive with all my might to be a complete Christian. Shining, excellent, and lovely. To stand out amongst all other Christians in the world. That's my resolution. He wanted to be a great Christian. And we all ought to want to be a great Christian. I want to be a great father, I want to be a great husband, I want to be a great pastor and a great preacher, I want to be those things, but above all, I want to be great in the eyes of God. How can we do that? He told us how to enter in verse 3, in verse 4, he's going to tell us how to be great. If you want to take notes, that that's what those two verses are. Verse 3, how to enter into the kingdom. Verse 4, how to be great in the kingdom. And he says, whosoever. That means anybody that wants to be great in the kingdom can be great in the kingdom. Do you understand that? He doesn't just say, preachers can be great in the kingdom. Or deacons can be great in the kingdom. Or or whoever he wants to lay out there. Whosoever. Whoever wants to be great can. If you want to be a great Christian, you can be a great Christian. It's not even that hard. And the answer is... The same as the way in. The way in to the kingdom is the same way to be great in the kingdom. To be like this child. And again, this child has no idea what's going on. Just sitting there in Jesus' lap. I can even imagine him sitting there just bouncing on, on his knee, you know. Baby chuckling and giggling. You know what babies do. The sweetness of a baby. I can even imagine. This is a little boy, he's probably got red hair. <laughs> and he uses it and says this is how this little baby, this little child is how you get in the kingdom and this little child what an object lesson he's a master teacher this little child and every time you see a child this is what you ought to think of this little child is how you get in like this child and this little child is how you are great in the kingdom this little child and he says there whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven so it's not just how you get in the kingdom by being like a little child but it's how you live in the kingdom like a little child you guys ever kept nursery you got these little toddlers running around infants none of them care one bit about being greater than the other they don't even care about having nice clothes on steph used to leave me with the, with our little babies and she'd come back and i'd have their clothes on backwards and i've had them unbuttoned and i've had them all over the place and she'd, say, what are you doing i'm like look at them they're so happy <laughs> just in their back, you know just, just bouncing around they don't care about looking better than anybody else they don't care about being better than anybody else. They don't care about having more than anybody else. They have no pride in them whatsoever. They don't even care if they have clothes on. They don't worry about toys. They don't not, not just don't worry about toys. Uh, you guys know this too. At Christmas, you can buy them a, a nice toy. I mean, you could pay hundreds of dollars for this toy, this Lego. I mean, this, this thing is, is immaculate. And you sit there and you put it together for them. And you go, like, this is going to be so happy. And here they are with the box, you know. Giggling and just, I could have got that at Food City. <laughs> They're just so un- unbecoming. So simple. They don't care about accomplishments. They don't care about achievements. They don't care about awards. You don't see a little toddler running around the nursery trying to race the other one. <laughs> Bet you I'm faster than you are, you know? No. It's not how children act. There's no concern for greatness. There's no pursuit. There's no climbing. There's no stepping over one another. There's no jealousy. Look at that diaper. I'd love to have that diaper. They don't do that. There's probably more greatness in most churches' nurseries than there is in its auditorium. But somewhere, somehow, and get this, I've noticed it with my four kids, as they grow up, they start to get this in them. Where they want the clothes and the toys and they want the power and the success and they, want the, they start pursuing and climbing and stepping over. It's the same thing in Christianity. We start so low and somehow we start to puff ourselves up as we go. That child was sitting in Jesus' lap. Perfectly content with his low estate. He was safe there. He was provided for there. He was protected there. Totally dependent and reliant upon its Savior. Sitting in Jesus' lap was good enough for that child. And it ought to be good enough for every single one of us. So the answer is, and I, and I started this sermon with, who is the greatest? And I want to answer the question. And the answer is, the humble Christian is the greatest Christian. The least are the greatest. So the most humble, you've got to grab this. The most humble amongst us. The greatest virtue in Christianity is humility. Let me say that again. The greatest virtue in Christianity is humility. That's what sets us apart from everybody else in the world. You don't find humility in colleges and universities. You don't find humility in politics. Not at all. You don't find humility in Hollywood. You don't find humility in the NBA, the NFL, uh, the, the Major League Baseball. You don't find humility. Uh, Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. You don't find that anywhere. Where do you find true humility? In the world. In the church. And the greatest example of humility in all the world was found in Jesus himself. This was the lesson that he taught. But you know that it was more than a lesson. It was also the life that he lived. If you want to just watch him. And, and I, I don't have time to do it. I, I might. I've got a few minutes here. If you just just watching. His whole life. 33 years was nothing but humility. That the Lord of glory. Very God of very God. The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. One with His Father from from before the foundations of the world. Worshipped by angels. Bowing down before Him. All the riches and all the glory that He could ever want in heaven. Yet He stepped down. To a place called earth. Dirt. And He humbled Himself. And he didn't come down. You guys know this, but I want you to watch him. I want you to see him. I want you to see how different his example is from what many of us as Christians live today. As he came down, he didn't come to a, a rich man's kingdom. He didn't come to a, a father who was a king and a mother who was a queen and, and, a, and a palace of, of a, immaculate jewels and gold and and, and robes and, and all these things that everybody could ever want where he just sit as a child and they'd, they'd fan him and feed him grapes. He came down to a a little 13 year old girl married in a stable around stinking rotten animals that's humility raised as a boy in a carpenter's shop that's not easy work he didn't come down here lazy he was a working man worked with his hands built things that's humility. He didn't have to build anything. He was building things with the wood that He created Himself. Wow! You watch you Just watch His life. He didn't have to do any of those things around blind people. He wasn't up in the, the, the highest of places in the nicest of neighborhoods. He's walking amongst the blind and the lame and the sick and the lepers and the dead. That's who he hung out with. They said your savior hangs out with sinners. He eats with sinners. He's reaching out to sinners. Humility. There's people in churches that we in our own church we won't sit with. Oh, they're sitting with them, right? How much do we look like our savior? You want to go on? Because that's not the low list, that He became, and I, I'm, I'm just working my way through Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't hold on to all the privileges that he had, but he humbled himself. And he humbled himself to become a servant. And not just to become a servant. You guys have heard me preach this before. That he who was the highest of the highs steps down to the lowest of lows and then he stepped down here and he stepped down as a servant and then even lower. I'm getting somewhere. That the night before he died he was in the upper room and he washed his, the nasty feet of these disciples. And they led him. And Judas was one of them. And Jesus knew who Judas was. Jesus knew what Judas did. And Jesus still took the rag out and washed his old filthy, nasty feet. At his trial, he's the king. And he could have easily looked at Pilate and said, You have no authority over me whatsoever. He could have said that. I'm the one who gave you your seat of power. he humbled himself and then he went to a cross where he was beat bloody nasty couldn't even tell that he was a man and he could have stopped it at any time he could have called down 10,000 angels and he could have stood up in front of them and said that's too low for me but he went to the cross he took our sins upon his broad shoulders. And he died. And he was buried. How much lower can he get? From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Death upon a cross and then burial. Wherefore, God said, that's low enough, and God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. Therefore, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that verse is telling us that it was in his lowliness and in his humility that made him the greatest man of all time the one who came from the highest and humbled himself the lowest. You want to answer the question of who's the greatest? Jesus is the greatest. Because no one ever humbled themselves like Jesus humbled himself. And if you and me want to be great in, this, in his eyes, not in the world's eyes, who cares if they think we're great? Ain't nobody giving us any awards anyway. Ain't nobody trying to say, oh, Josh, you're the greatest preacher ever. You know, No. No. We want to be great in God's eyes. And if we want to be great in God's eyes, it means having this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus and humbling ourselves and going lower. Let me tell you what it means. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It means willingness to lower yourself and do what others wouldn't do. I'm too good for the nursery. (laughs) I'm too good for the doctors. There's nothing that we're too good for as Christians. If he'll do that, we've got to go low too. I'm too good to clean. I'm too good. I've heard that. It's a willingness to lower yourself. It's a willingness to be last. Let me say this. None of us want to be last in line. If I had a fellowship dinner planned for 12.30 today, we'd be fighting and clawing for the first in line. Wouldn't we? That's what we do. We went to a party not too long ago where they had a a piñata. I was trying to think of the word. And they had a bat. And the kids all started lining up. And I thought we was going to have one of those riots. I mean, it was... (laughs) I was putting on my right gear. You know, I was, I was seriously about to get hit with the bat. I'm going. No, I'm going. Everybody wanted to be first. Everybody wanted to be first. It wasn't one of them that said, you know what, I think I'll be last. I think I'll let somebody else go before me. But in lowering yourself and humbling yourself, you're saying, I'm willing to be last in line. I'm willing to be looked at as the lowest of the low. <laughs> I'm willing to get the least views of every church in Wise County. I'm willing to serve. That's what it means. I'm willing to be stepped on. I'm willing to be stepped over. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to stoop lower and lower and lower. Because that's the way to greatness in God's eyes. Can you say that's you? Can I say that's me? Can I say that's us? I'm not saying that we'll be childish. I'm saying that we must be childlike if we want to be great in God's eyes. Now let me say this. That's the way to be great in the kingdom. But now let me invite you into the kingdom. I think the whole book of Matthew is one big invitation with Matthew standing at the gates of the kingdom saying, come on in. That's how I see the book of Matthew. He says it over and over. Enter in. Uh, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. It's just Matthew saying, Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. And that's what I'm doing here today. As I'm preaching Matthew, I hope I'm doing that. That I keep on repeatedly saying, if anybody out here is an unbeliever, lost, on their way to hell, their sins have not been forgiven, they're going to miss out on heaven by a mile, then I stand here in front of you saying, Enter in. Enter in. Enter in. And how do you enter in? I mean, there's the answer. Be converted and become like a little child. Didn't Jesus say, Suffer them not, but bid them come unto Me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus bids you to come to Him as a little child. There are people that sit in pews that are lost and they are too big for their own britches to walk an aisle and come up here and admit they're a sinner and be saved. I'm afraid what somebody will say about me. I'm afraid that somebody will think about me. There's people sitting in pews that won't go to the baptistry because they're scared to death what somebody's going to think about them. You wonder why we have so many kids that get baptized? They don't care a bit. Put me up there. Put me out there. Let everybody see. As we get adults, we start thinking, somebody's going to say something about me. I don't want nobody to think I'm a sinner. You can stand in front, and I've done this. Johnny, you've probably done this. Stood in front of an elementary Chapel service with 50 or 60 young kids. You get, hang with me. I got five minutes. You guys thought I was going to be done 30 minutes ago. You, it's so wrong. <laughs> you know me better than that. Chapel full of kids. You, you, I'm, I'm sure Johnny's seen this. I preach chapels a lot. And you'll get these elementary kids out there. And it'll be, and I love preaching to them, man. It's, sometimes it's hard to preach to adults. What's he going to say? You know, (laughs) he messed that up. But you look at kids and smiling. I've never heard that before and you get up there in front of them and there's 50 or 60 kids out there and they go from little toddlers that the teachers are trying to round them up all the way up to 6th or 7th grade sitting over here on the side and I can see it in my mind and you can ask them and I've done this before you can look at them all and say who would like to have their sins forgiven me 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 I'll do it I want to who would like to go to heaven when they die me 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 who would like to believe in Jesus that he is God that he lived a perfect life that he died on the cross for your sins that he was buried and Risen again, he ascended unto the Father. He's coming back again someday. Who believes it? Me, 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 me. Who would like to put their faith in him? Me. I mean, you got fifty or sixty kids. Every single one of my kids. Who would like to commit their life to Jesus and to repent of their sins? Me, 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 me. me. And you're sitting there thinking. This is the kind of church I want. <laughs> but something happens when you go to a high school chapel and you do the same thing. Start doing. Wonder what everybody else is going to think if I do. You get the adults and it's the same thing. Sitting in church, scared to come to an altar. So I might think I'm dealing with something. Bid them come, for such is the kingdom of God. This is how you enter, and this is how you live when you're in, as a little child. You said, I don't know what to do. Neither did that little child. <laughs> and Jesus said, come on. And that's what he's doing today, is it not? Come on. Yeah. If you're an unbeliever, come on. Just come here, and that little baby, you know, waddling. There's going to be some nice videos of me doing all kinds of crazy things on here, but come on. Come on, that child. Get this. It's, I love this. This is the invitation that pastors give. That when Jesus looks at that little child, he didn't say, come here. <laughs> get over here. You know? That child would have cried and went the other way. Wouldn't it? I've been around enough children to know. Jesus looks at that child and says, come on. Come on. He smiled his face. Child started smiling. Child didn't know what he was going to do when he got there. He just went. Arms out to Jesus. Jesus' arms out to him. And before you know it, they're embraced. It's exactly the invitation that churches give every Sunday. And I can't stand it. Maybe it's just me and maybe I think I'm better than other preachers. I don't know. But I can't stand it. Maybe that's pride. When a preacher angrily looks out at the church just says, Come. And Jesus says, come, come. And then like little children, he draws those to himself. And they come waddling up to him. That was me 16 years ago. And Jesus with a smile on his face said, come on, Josh. And Josh got out of his pew and waddled towards Jesus yeah. as a little child. And shame on me for forever, forever forgetting how I came. Because that's how we continue to be great. I'm going to close with this. I've got 15 seconds. Martin, Muhammad Ali said, and I'm going to go back to my first page. You tell me which one you want to be. Muhammad Ali said, I'm not just the greatest, I'm the double greatest. Martin Luther said, Oh, do not think yourself to be great, but think yourself to be very little. One is great in the world's eyes. One will forever be great in God's eyes. So you decide today which one you'll be. Do I want to be great in God's eyes or do I want to be great in the world's eyes? And if you're here today and you're lost, I invite you with a smile on my face come to jesus and i guarantee you he'll greet you with a smile and forgiveness and salvation and reception and heaven that's how he greeted me that's how he greets everyone who comes to him because he'll turn none away there's no waddling child with a smile on his face that comes by faith to jesus that he says not you not one not ever if you come to him by childlike, simple faith and trust, he will receive you, and your sins will be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us in your word today. Now, this is a, a good passage for us uh, to knock us down a notch or two. Uh, and I, I needed it. I think that's uh, something that most Christians need, to be reminded where we come from, how we entered And how we ought to live now. And God, I pray for those who are sitting in this room today. And I think it's primarily Christians, believers. I pray for us that you would help us. It's hard to say humble us, but we need that. We need to be brought to our knees. We need to be lower. We need to learn to not try to be one-upping each other. Pride destroys unity in churches. So I pray, God, that you would please keep us humble. And in being humble, we'll be the best Christians that we can be. Thank you for the example that our Savior gave us and that we can watch him in his life. And we trust, God, in the future that those who humble themselves will be exalted. We trust that. So let us be a humble people. And for those in here today that are unbelievers, and there may be, maybe even somebody online today that's listening, and they're not, they're not a believer. They've never come to you by, in childlike, simple faith. There's probably children in here today that are listening to this. You have, by the power of your spirit, gripped their attention. You've gotten their ears. You've gotten their eyes. You've gotten their heart. And now, in this moment, they're listening like they've never listened before. And God, I pray that you would. Show them that invitation that you give. Come to me. Come to me. And that they would waddle up here today, or even right now as I'm praying, and that they would believe. Put their full faith and trust in Christ. Please, God, let this sermon today, these these words, be good for our church and be words of gospel power to those who are lost. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.